Now, whenever I was invited for this meeting, it was told me or suggested to me that I would give my testimony and tell you how I was reached unsaved, and that's a long time ago. So the verses that we're going to read, very, very well known, verse number 7, 8, and 9 of Ephesians chapter number 2. Verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now the Lord blesses his own good, precious word. We depend upon that. Now in a testimony meeting, about nine or ten will tell you, out of ten, will tell you that they were brought up in a Christian home. Now, I can't say that. I was not brought up in a Christian home. My father wasn't saved. My mother wasn't saved. My brother got saved just a wee while before me, and I had three sisters not saved. My grandfather wasn't saved, nor my grandmother either. I, on either side, and I had dozens of cousins who were not saved. And uh, there was just, there was none saved in the family. It was just uh, people that were kind of religious, some who would go now and again to a church and think that that was enough. Now, that is a house that I was brought up in. And I asked for my father. Now, he was a very clever man. First of all, he was a musician. He could play the violin. And he taught the violin. And he had about 80 or 90 pupils, and he did quite well out of that. He was also a baker, so he could bake, and he was one of the best in the country. And then he was a tenter. He could demand all the machines whenever the looms were going in the older days. So he had three trades to his, uh, to up his sleeve, as it were, and if he got tired of one, he always went to the other. But one interesting thing about him is he always stayed with the music. Sometimes he had quite a few uh, pupils, and other times when he was working at other things, he had few, but he always stayed with the music. He told me when he was a little boy, he took up the violin, and he practiced it for five hours every day. Now, he was pretty good at it, I can tell you. He could play anything that you wanted on a violin. He could entertain you. He could play it, you know, upside down. And he could play it uh, putting the bow and holding it with his knees and move the violin instead of the bow and play you a lot of jigs, Irish jigs, Scottish jigs and everything else. And he was an entertainer. He was indeed. And he could make it sound like bagpipes. He had some way to put a comb across the strings in a certain position, you know, and it sounded like bagpipes. There was a drone as well as the melody. And then he would get his coat off and put it round him, uh, tying it his sleeves at the back like a like a like a, a kilt, and he would take the horse brush and hang it in front of him for a spurn, and he could entertain people. He used to get a lot of people in the household, cronies and everything else, and he would entertain them hour after hour. And as well as that, you know, he could make it sound like a brass band. And he did that with a bottle of ink, of all things. And it had to be just half full and no more. 
and he put it against this strange and captive island over like this, so that it wouldn't spill, of course. There's a lid on it anyway. And uh, here, you just close, uh, just turn away, close your eyes, and you'd think you're listening to a brass band and not a baton. I tell you, he knew how to play. And uh, any tune that he heard, he could play it with variations and all the rest. He was a very good musician, let me tell you. I had two sisters who also became violinists, and one of them played in the London Philharmonic Orchestra for many, many years. And so there was, he was a musician. One thing I didn't know about him that he was aware of the gospel for when he was a young man. And W.P. Nicholson was going about the country preaching the gospel. He followed him. And there's times he would love to have been saved. I didn't learn this till long after I got saved. He never told me this. I never knew. But many a time he felt that he would love to get saved, but the music kept him back. It was the music, and he put the music before the Lord and before the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing that was upsetting is this, that he made plenty of money but it all went down the drain, for he was an alcoholic. He was in the Navy whenever he was very, very young, and he learned to drink on the Navy, at the Navy. He was also a soldier in the First World War and was at Gallipoli and had tremendous experiences to tell you. But unfortunately, he was an alcoholic. I asked for my mother. She was a quiet little lady, but she knew nothing about the gospel, nothing about it. If you'd ask her about the gospel, she would tell you, Oh, I sang in a choir when I was a little girl. And if I sang in the choir in the church, I'll sing in heaven. And that was her gospel, and she couldn't get beyond that. That's the way that, that was her. And no matter how much you talk to her. I remember my brother Owen got saved before me then. I got saved, I'll tell you about that in a minute or two. And uh, we used to preach the gospel in these Belfast assemblies, and then we would go down to see my father and mother. And we would preach to them and tell them an outline of the very things that we were preaching about. And she said, I know nothing about that, nor do I need it, nor am I interested. I sang in the choir, and that's all I need. And we couldn't get it into her, no matter how much we tried, that she was a sinner and needed to be saved. We couldn't get it into her. Well, that was that. That's the way I was brought up. I never went to Sunday school. I didn't go to church either. My folk didn't go to church. They were Presbyterians, but they never went. And uh, that is the atmosphere I grew up in. Now, whenever I was 14 years of age, I was in school, of course, public elementary school, and we got a new teacher. I was 14 years of age. And this new teacher, he must have been, well, he was a Christian. There's no doubt about that. And whether he belonged to the Baptist or what, I don't know. But this man, I dare say, he preached quite a bit. And if he preached, he would have been a hellfire preacher because that's what he was in the school. Now, they're not allowed to do in the schools what they did in those days. But let me tell you, he was the one who was in charge of religious instruction as well as everything. And I, I remember this so vividly. It was the first time that I heard God's voice. 
And it was two years now before I could see it, but this is where I got awakened. He said, now boys, and there was about 50 young fellows in the class, all 14 years of age. Now boys, he says, I want to tell you about the book of Revelation. He says, it's easy found. It's the very last book in the Bible. It's easy found. Now I'll tell you what's in that book, he says. It's about people who are going to go to a place called heaven. And a new earth and a new heavens, he says. And there's no death there. And there's no pain. And there's no sorrow. And there's no tears. There's no wars. There's no trouble, he says. It's just a bliss of paradise, boys. Then he said, but that same book tells you something else. For everyone is not going there, let me tell you. He says, there's another place and it's called a lake of fire. And he says, and it burns, and it burns forever, he says. The flame will never go out. And he says, you could be there, boys. And I was awakened. I was awakened. That is the first time I ever heard anything about the gospel or anything like that. It went to my heart like an arrow. The boys, they all sniggered at it, but I didn't. Not me. I was convicted of sin. And from that moment, I began to long to know God. Fourteen years of age, I just wanted to know God. Now, I didn't even know John 3.16. I didn't know it. I didn't possess a Bible. My father had an old Bible that he read in his bedroom. I very seldom went into his bedroom. And he read that apparently every night. And sometimes he was blind drunk when he was reading it but he read it every night. And here I was. And the first thing I did, did was thought of my mother and how she sung in a choir. And I said, I'll try. I'll get my hands on a Bible and I will see if I read this Bible how that I can get to know God. I'd never heard the word saved. I'd never heard that word. And so I got on my bike and I went up to a little Bible shop. It was run by two sisters that went to Donegal Road Gospel Hall called Jess on the Donegal Road, for I lived down to Tate's Avenue in Belfast, Lisburn Road, and I bought me a Bible for five shillings. I lost 25 pence for a Bible, a Bible. That wasn't a very big one, no references or anything in it. And I started to read. Now, we had learned from this man, Cathcart, the books of the Bible off by heart. And that was a great help to me, I'm telling you. And we used to sit there in the morning in school saying, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, right through to Revelation, until every one of us, it was ground into us. And I remember it, of course, to this very day. And whenever I got saved, that was a great, great help to me. And so I decided then I would read in the New Testament. I knew that the Bible was divided into the Old Testament and the New because this man had told us that. And so I started Matthew's Gospel, a whole lot of names, which, of course, I found hard to read, hard to pronounce, hard to understand. And then about the death of Christ, the birth of Christ in chapter number 2, and I remember that this is to do with Christmas. This is Christmas. That's what this is. 
and about the wise men coming. This is Christmas. And then to chapter 3 and 4, and then I came to chapter 5. The Lord's teaching on the mount is called the Sermon on the Mount. People refer to it as it. And I looked at this, and it was very, very practical. Now, I knew nothing, let me tell you, but this passage here said that if anyone asks you for your coat, you're to give it to him. And if anyone asks you for to go a mile, go with it two miles. And I was waiting for someone to ask me for my coat, and I was going to give it to him, but nobody asked me. And I was waiting for someone to ask me to go a mile for him or with him, but nobody never asked me. I was prepared to do anything. And there's all the things I read about praying, so I tried to pray. Now, my prayer was very unscriptural, but I tried to pray. And I tried to hold out of all the things that were written in this Sermon on the Mount. And not to speak evil of anyone. Now, that was a tough thing. And uh, as well as that, I, I had a, a tongue that was, well, I swore right, left, and center, and I, I found it impossible to control it. So with other fellows that I went about with, we all swore, and it was part of us, and that was that, and I just couldn't get rid of it. And so I tried for that quite a while. I wasn't doing very well. I was beginning to slacken off, but there was still that fear there of God. One day I was with some friends at night, very clear night, lovely moon. And coming home, I found a circle, a halo round the moon. Now, that means a storm or something, but I'd never seen it before. It doesn't occur very, very often, but this ring was round the moon. Then I was filled with fear at this, fear. For this, uh, this teacher had told me, now this was about six months later, this teacher had said, you know, about the signs in the moon and in the sun and in the stars. He talked about this and that God was going to come and judge this whole world. You can't go on forever. It's going to be judged, everybody in it. And he used to say, go down the town, boys, and look at those lovely buildings, this city hall, and Robson and Cleavers and Sinclairs. Look at these buildings, he said. They're all going to be burned up. They're all for the flames. Every one of them, he said, they're going to be burned up. And you know, whenever I saw that halo around the moon, I got very convicted this time. I actually trembled. Now, the four men trembled in the book of the Acts. I'm sure you can think of them. as Saul of Tarsus and Felix and the jailer and so on. But I trembled. I trembled. And you know, I found it very, very difficult to go to bed. Very difficult. I never told my father, my mother, now my brother Rowan had got saved a year or two just before these events. But he was married and living uh, away. And uh, it just went on like this for a long time. And I tried and I tried and I got no light. Oh, if I had just heard the gospel, if I had heard about Christ, if I had heard about his great love and the love of God, on Christ dying upon the cross as a sacrifice for me, but I never heard it, for it wasn't in my family, and I didn't go anywhere to hear it. There was gospel meetings came to Windsor Gospel Hall. My brother had just gone into fellowship there with his wife. 
And uh, these gospel meetings were coming and they were to be conducted by a Mr. Frank Knox and a Mr. Thomas Little. Now, I had no idea who they were. I had no idea, but they had come for gospel meetings and they started in Windsor Gospel Hall in 1944. I'm speaking of a long time ago, 1944. I was now 16 years of age and still longing after God, still longing all the time was in that longings in my heart to know God. I remember one time at work, I worked in a bakery and I hurt my arm and I went up to the hospital and the girl started, the nurse started to bandage up my hand. And you know what I, I said to myself, I wish I could tell this girl that I was going to heaven. I wish that I could only tell her that I know God, but I couldn't and I knew nothing about it. Well, my brother asked me to those meetings. There's gospel meetings have come to the hall. They're going on now. Would you come? And I said, yes, but I had no intention of going. No intention. Do you know why? I was afraid to go. Because my father said to me, see this man Knox is preaching that your brother's talking about. He says he's a hellfire preacher, you know. He preaches judgment. And you know that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go. I was afraid to go, afraid. I want to get these thoughts down. I want to do them. I don't want to be worried anymore about this, any more than I am, for I was dreadfully worried about it. Every day I thought about meeting God. So I went around one night to see my brother. I was short of money. I was working, but I was short of money. Wanted to go to a cinema, and uh, I went up the stairs. He an apartment above a shop, and I went up about two or three at a time. I was very, very fit, and bounded into the room, and there was a man there, a gentleman there. And he said, who are you? And I said, I'm Rowan's brother. He says, have you been to the meetings yet? And then I knew who he was. He was one of the preachers. He was Mr. Frank Knox. And I said, no, I haven't been to the meetings yet. Oh, he said, he said, are you saved then? Well, that's the first time I ever heard the word saved. I'd never heard the word 16 years of age. I'd never heard the word saved. Living in Belfast. And I just said, no. And he smiled from ear to ear. And he leaned back in the chair, the happiest looking man you could see. And he said, Young man, it's a great thing to be saved. It's a great thing to be saved. And I thought, look at that happy man there. Look at that happy man. And he's saved. Saved. And I, I knew then what he meant. Saved. Saved from hell. Saved from judgment. Saved from the pit. I knew what he meant. And he says, you'll come to the meetings. I said, I will. So I said I would go to the meetings. But I was reluctant to go, but I said I would go, and I did go. Well, you know, I was riding my bike one day going in a message. I rode my bike everywhere. I had a nice Claude Butler bike. We have great bikes in those days. And I could go very fast on it. And I was going up, and Mr. Knox was going round, and he was 
uh, inviting people to the meetings and he saw me and he said, young man, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you every day, he said. I was sort of embarrassed. But there's a man who really took me to heart. He was praying for me. So therefore, I decided to go to the meeting. And I said to my brother Rowan, I'll go to the meeting with you. And he said, all right, you'll come to the meeting with me. And I said, I will, I'll go to the meeting. And so I went to the meeting. On the very first night, Mr. Knox read this passage that I have read to you now. This passage which says, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the very first message he spoke whenever I was now. He was preaching there for two or three weeks, but that was the first gospel message I ever listened to. And you know, it said, not of works, and Mr. Knox, he zeroed in on that. He was the kind of man who didn't preach a whole lot of alliteration, a lot of C's and a lot of S's and a lot of P's and all. He didn't do that. He just took up one little sentence and he hammered it home. And he would stomp his feet and sometimes he banged the platform and he was very, very fierce like this. Maybe that kind of preaching wouldn't do now, but it did in those days and it worked, let me tell you. And so I remember so well as if it were just yesterday. I'm standing saying, not of works. Not of works. You can boast if it works, but you're going to get to heaven and you'll not boast. He says, it's not of works. By grace are you saved. It's not of works. Then he would come to this side and say, everybody down this side here, it's not of works. It's not of works. You can't get to heaven by works. You can't get saved by works. And then he'd come to this side and I was up in the back seat and he says, you can't get saved by works. Young man, he says, if you're trying to work your way to heaven, you're lost and you're going to hell as fast as time can take you. Right into my heart. That was it. I thought to myself, I've learned something tonight. I've learned that all my looking at the Bible in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is not the way. There's some other way. There's some other way. There must be some other way. And I went to the meeting the next night and I heard the preaching of Christ. I heard about the Lord Jesus Christ, who he was, God's son. And I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. Mr. Thomas Little was preaching with him. Now, he was little as far as this way is concerned, but he was quite wide this way. He was a heavy kind of a man. And now, I'm speaking of 74 years ago, and uh, this man had a hearing aid. Now, it was a big string round his neck here, and a big box here, with like the breastplate of a high priest, you know, and uh, there was knobs on it all up and down, and it squealed quite a bit, and it hissed, and it went very loud, and then it went soft, and he was fiddling with it all the time, making it worse, and, you know, it was quite difficult to listen to. But as well as that, I couldn't enjoy him, for I hadn't a clue what he was talking about. I hadn't a clue. I hope none of his relatives are here this evening, some of us, you know, great-grandfather or something, but Mr. Thomas Little... I couldn't understand him. 
And I used to say to myself, you know, in my own wee way, I wished he would sit down and let the other man do all the preaching because Mr. Knox got through to me and was continuing to get through to me. I was learning the gospel, but then I stumbled at believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, he would say. Believe on him. You have just to believe on him. And you know, that's where I stumbled. I would have been saved a wee bit before that. It hadn't have been for that. But anyway, I was longing to get saved. Now I knew it was Christ only and uh, how to get uh, hitched on is the way I put it in those days. How to get it, you know, I just wasn't sure. So one night I was reading. I loved reading old adventure stories and all. I was reading a book and I was sitting in a corner there. And my sister was combing her hair, Myrtle. She was the next one to me, two after that, older. And she was going out to meet her boyfriend, who she later married, and my brother Rowan came in. And my sister had been at the meetings, and she was a wee bit talking about it too. So she started to ask my brother Rowan some questions. I just sat and listened. I didn't read the book. I just listened. And then he talked about other things and she asked him questions and he answered. And then her boyfriend came for her and away they went. And I came over and sat down beside my brother Rowan and I said, tell me some of the things you've been telling Myrtle. Tell me that. He says, why? I says, I need to be saved and I want to get saved. He says, I have prayed for that since the Lord saved me, he says. I prayed that the Lord would save you, he says. I prayed for that every day, maybe several times a day. He said, what's the trouble? I said, I know Christ has died for me, but what do I do? What do I do? He says, well, and he took the hymn book, a book that was sitting there, it wasn't a hymn book, he took a book there and he says, this is your sin, your sin. That's going to bring you into judgment. And he put it on my knee. He says, where's the sin? I says, on me. He says, now God took that sin and laid it on Christ. And he put it over here. He said, where's it now? I says, it's on Christ. He says, what more could God do? And I saw, just accept that. Just trust him. I had to go out that night. I was going to a birthday party somewhere. And they're all singing wee things and playing wee games, one thing or another. And I took no interest in it. All I could think of of my sins were laid on Christ. Whenever I got home that night, it was the 29th of November, 1944. Whenever I got home that night, I just went straight up to my bed. It was about five minutes to 11. I had a wee bedroom of my own that had held a single bed and half the space of a single bed was the size of the room. So therefore, you just turn uh, room to turn around, no wardrobes or anything in it, a wee chair there where I threw my belongings and a hook behind the door where I held up my clothes there, and uh, I got down on the side of that bed. And this is, I don't just remember the exact prayer, but this is what I did that night. I says, God, I'm a sinner a sinner. But Christ has bore my sins on the cross. Lord, I accept that.
I was saved. Saved there in just a moment. And I knew I was saved. I knew it. And I got into bed and had a nice good night's sleep. Now I was up early in the morning because I worked in a bakery. I was up about five or quarter past five. And I wakened up in the morning. The first thing I thought, I got saved last night. I got saved, the Lord saved me last night. I just turned to the person of Christ. No question of works or anything else. I just turned to the, question, the person of Christ. Certain things happened after that. First of all, my brother Rowan, we went to the meeting the next night. And on the way home, he says, the meetings will soon be over. You're not saved yet. I says, well, I got saved last night. He says, did you? He says, I would like to talk about this. So let's go for a wee walk. So he went for a wee walk and I came back to my house and I told him what had happened. And he had no idea that I was anxious about my soul. It never entered his mind. He thought I was just raw and careless. You don't know what's going through people's minds, you know. And we stopped and I could take to the very same spot. It was just outside the wee house where I lived, the wee terrace house. And there was a lamp there, the old lamps, you know. And it had rained and there was a puddle there. And the both of us looked at it. And he turned to me and says, Do you know, if you dropped dead here now, you'd be in heaven, he says, with the Lord. And I started to cry. And he started to cry as well. And we both cried out of joy, out of joy. We both cried, I had found the Saviour precious, and he rejoiced. The next day I thought I'd better tell my father. Now when my father was sober, he was, he was pretty cross. And when he was drunk, he was more cross. But this night he was sober. And I thought I'd better tell my dad the very next night. I said, Dad, I've something to tell you. I don't know what he would have said, whether he was going to explode or what, I don't know. I said, I've something to tell you. I got saved last night. I'm saved by the grace of God. I'm going to heaven. There wasn't a word. And I looked at him, and the tears were coming down his cheeks. I said, do you know something about this? And that's when he told me. He says, son, when I was a young man, 20 to 22 years of age, I went to hear W.A.T. Nicholson, and he says, I followed him all round Portadown, Dromore, everywhere we lived in Portadown. All round the place, he says, I followed him in those early, early days, he says. We lived in, I was born Dromore, Portadown for five years and then to Belfast. And he said, uh, I longed to get saved many a night, but the music, he says, kept me back. I'm glad to hear that. I'm thrilled to hear that, he said. And so the outcome was unexpected. As a matter of fact, you know what he did? He went the next night up to all his cronies that he drunk with, and he said, Do you know, my boy got saved the other night. My boy's on the way to heaven, and he was proud as anything because I'd been reached and saved. I told my mother, and my mother said, Son, you didn't need that. You don't need that. Of course, she didn't know what kind of boy I was, really. And uh, she says, you know, 
you don't, you were a good, good lad now, and you don't need that, you know. And that's what she said. Then, you know, it got round the hall in Windsor that I had got saved. And a lady come over to me after the gospel meeting one night, and she says, I hear you got saved. I says, yes, I have. She says, I prayed for you every night and every morning from the first day I saw you coming into that hall. Oh, I said, I thank you. A man come over to me, big tall man, who became a good friend afterwards. He says, I hear you got saved. I said, that's right. He says, do you know, I prayed for you. I prayed for you several times a day from the first night I saw you coming into this hall. A couple of girls came over and said to me, we hear you've got saved. I said, that's right. She says, we prayed for you. And then the young men came over, about five of them came over, young men in the hall. And they said, so you got saved, big fella? I said, yes. They said, you know, after the meeting every night, we had a prayer meeting for you, just for you. And you know, there was others that prayed for me too. And this was amazing that people had prayed for me. An interesting thing happened. After I got saved, about two nights after I got saved, I began to enjoy Mr. Little preaching. I began to enjoy him. And I began to wish, you know, in my own wee way, I wished Mr. Knox would sit down and let Mr. Little take the whole meeting. And what changed it round? Because now I got saved and I was interested and I knew he was saved. This man, Mr. Little, was not a tax preacher like Mr. Knox. He was a man who took up a passage in Scripture and told us what it meant. And it attracted me. Attracted me very much. Told us exactly what it meant. And I was really attracted to that. And I remember him after I was saved about a week the meetings went on a wee while more, and he preached on the serpent on the pole from chapter number 21 of Numbers. And then he went to John 3, 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him, it said Luke there, but believeth on him shall have everlasting life. And I thought that the most marvellous thing that here in the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years before the event, a serpent was lifted up on a pole, just like Christ lifted up on the cross, and to save the people from dying, and the Lord to save us from perishing. And I thought that was the most marvelous thing that I'd ever heard. And I began to appreciate the Bible must be a very interesting book indeed, must be. I went on for about three months, you know, or more, and a lot of the young fellows that I went about with got saved, believe it or not, about six of them. And I went to a little mission hall, Great Northern Street Mission Hall. Mr. Anderson was a missionary there, and he was a very, very godly, earnest man. Went round the district all day long on a bicycle and visiting everybody, and anybody died in the neighbourhood, he was the first to be there. At the funeral, he, did. he went everywhere. He was a marvellous man. Would spend and be spent for the Lord. And they went there. So 
Of course, I went with them. But I went to the Bible reading on a Monday night in Windsor. And I enjoyed the Bible reading very much. And then I went on to the mission hall. We had nice times that. I was given my testimony here and there in mission halls around Belfast. And as well as that, preaching a wee bit in the open air, even on my own street, I did it. And I was quite happy and reading my Bible and getting on all right. And then I went to see my brother one time. And it was a Mr. Jordan there who went to Windsor Gospel Hall. He was a biggish man. And he was from the south of Ireland. And he had been in the north of Ireland for about 40 years or somebody. Never lost a southern broke. And he says, have you got baptized yet? I said, no. Oh, he says, you're not baptized. He says, no. He says, give me your Bible there. Well, that's a Bible with me. And he says to my brother's wife, have you a pair of scissors there? And she said, yes, I have. I said, what do you want a pair of scissors for? Well, he says, I want to cut this verse out of your Bible. They that loudly received his word were baptized. I want to cut that out of your Bible because you don't, you don't believe it. And he says, I'm going to cut this part out too about the Ethiopian eunuch. And I had read this now, by the way. Uh, going down into the water and the eunuch was baptized. I says, I'm going to go over to the book of the Acts and I'm going to read that. And then I'm going to go over to Romans chapter 6 and I'm going to cut it out. I says, enough, enough. And I went to the brethren and got baptized. That was that. Was that. And then, you know, I still went to the Bible reading, was reading my Bible a wee bit. And Mr. Anderson, I was quite happy there. But, you know, I began to see things differently. And I went to Mr. Anderson one time and I said to him, Mr. Anderson, you're a great man. I says, but I'm going to have to leave you. Why, he says. Why do we not remember the Lord in the breaking of bread? Oh, he said, well, you know, if you want to break bread, you can do it once a month up in the church, you know. I says, I don't know anything about the church. I don't belong to it or anything. Why do we not do it? Aren't we all Christians here? He says, we are. I says, he says, there's no need to do it, he says. You can go to the church there and do it once a month. He says, it's not an important thing. I said, Mr. Anderson, I'm going to have to leave you. And tears came to his, his eyes, you know. He said, I was going to send you to a Bible school, he says. I was going to make arrangements for you. I says, I have to go. He says, you're making a big mistake. He says, you're going into this place and you'll just be ignored, he said. And he says, you'll never stand on another platform. You'll just be, you'll just go out of circulation. Well, I says, it doesn't matter. I have to obey the scriptures, Mr. Anderson. And so I left him and shook hands and shook hands with everybody and left them and came to the brethren because, you see, they baptized me without bringing me into the assembly. They wanted to do that, but I said, oh, no, I'm quite happy. I have a Sunday school class with 18 young people in it and some of them have got saved up in the mission hall. I don't want that. I built up the Sunday school class myself uh, from one right up to 18, and I said, no, 
No. And uh, I'm not coming into fellowship. But I came to them then. This was about three months later. And I said, I want into fellowship. And they said, we knew you'd be back. <laughs> we knew you'd be back. And so I was re received into Windsor Gospel Hall. Now, two young men came over to me. And they said, what are you doing next Sunday night? I said, nothing. Oh, you'll, you'll come to us. We're going to give our testimony somewhere. You come with us. So I went with them. And then another young man come over. He says, would you like to join me in preaching the gospel next Sunday night in such and such a hall? I said, it would. And nearly every Sunday, I was away somewhere preaching the gospel. And what Mr. Anderson said wasn't really right. I don't know. It wasn't really right. He said, I would never stand on a platform again. It would be the end of me. But it wasn't. And so it is to this very day. Now, I've been in the assembly then from about 1945 or 46. So I'm a long time in the assemblies. And uh, then later on, I went out into work after about a number of years. And that's another story. So that's how I could see it. That's how it happened. And there was a lad who didn't know the scriptures, spoken by a school teacher who never knew that I could say it. And a moon <laughs> that worked on me too. And people had prayed for me that I would never have known. And men that I appreciated the way they preached. And that is my story. Now, if you're not saved in this meeting, you know a lot more gospel, I'm sure, than what I knew whenever I was saved. You know more about it. You know that it's not a works. And you know that is the death of Christ and his death and resurrection alone can save you. And the gospel is found there and there alone. Salvation, the gospel, good news, that's where it is. The good news is in Christ, not in works or anything else. And blessed is everyone who preaches Christ, no matter who they are. You know that. Why are you not saved? It's time you were saved. You're missing out, you know. Whenever I get saved, I wished I'd been saved long ago, though I was saved at 16. You're missing out. You're missing out indeed. It's a great thing to be saved, Mr. Knox said. I remember having gospel meetings and a woman, 75 years of age, came to the meetings and she asked me to call and see her and I went to see her with another man and you know what she said to me? There's a word you use every night. Every night you use it, she says, and I've never heard it before. I said, what is it? She says, the word saved. And you know, I read her of scriptures, quite a few places where it's found, you know. And the next night she was coming to the meeting and going out, she says, I have something to tell you. I have got saved, she said. And the word that she never heard, same as myself, the word she's never heard, she heard it. And she was able to witness that she had got saved. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time that you were saved. Now let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Our Father, we thank thee that the Lord Jesus has many, many titles. But there's one that we love very, very much, and that is the Savior. And another one, the Redeemer. We thank thee, our Father, 
He's the one who redeemed us from the slavery of sin. He's the one who saved us from the penalty of our sin. He's the one who is our priest who looks after us, who intercedes for us in our weakness. He's the one who has reconciled our souls to God if we believe on him. So we have sought to present the gospel and testimony form this night, and we pray that the Lord will bless it according to thy grace, thy goodness, the riches of thy grace, and thy power. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.